How many, uh, how many of you know what you want? We all want God's purpose in our life, don't we? So the issue is knowing what I want and wanting what I know. That's what I'm going to talk to you tonight about. Out of Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, there's a short parable. And uh, I just want to walk through this a little bit. But I, I think it's important that we, that we reflect on our purpose. It's important that we refocus our, on our purpose and periodically sharpen the focus of our purpose. Very, very important. If you were to die tonight, could you say that you have accomplished the purpose for which you were born? You have to ask yourself that question. If I were to die tonight, can I say that I have completed, I have finished the purpose for which I was born? That's a, that's a powerful question. Not many people are thinking that. Uh, most of us have heard the the, uh, the phrase, finish well, haven't we? And certainly the goal of our life is to finish well. And the question is, are we finishing well? Am I indeed fulfilling the purpose uh, for which I was born? What would you say is the purpose of your life? If you were to sit down and ask yourself, what is the purpose for my life? Why do I exist? And am I fulfilling that purpose? These are significant questions. There is an ultimate purpose and there is a more particular purpose, or you could say a unique purpose. Our unique purpose is, fits within the, in, the, in the greater ultimate purpose, if you will, that God has for us. What would God say to us? How do you think God would answer the questions, these questions about each of us? Would God say... You have completed what I've given you to do, uh, both in the ultimate sense and as well in the, in the more unique personal sense. I think, again, it's, it's very, very important for us to periodically, again, refocus on our purpose. How many times we lose sight of our purpose? We lose sight of why we're here. We lose sight of what we're all about. Certainly, as the church... Uh, we have a tendency towards thinking individualistically and rather than uh, seeing ourselves as part of a greater uh, dynamic, the church, part of the body of Christ. And when I think we're able to recapture the reason that we were given life, we can truly begin to live supernaturally. You can begin to live supernaturally once you recapture the reason that you were given life. Think about that. Uh, you can live with a, a, a fresh freedom to your life. You can live with a, an excitement, an enthusiasm, a, a sense of, of meaning, um, joy. You can, you can live with a sense of abandon. This is what God has called me to. This is what God has called me for. And you can live with a sense of abandon to that. And there, there in life starts getting really exciting. Life starts getting uh, uh, joyful, if you will. 
we are liberated, I think, at that point to begin to prioritize uh, the opportunities as well as the challenges that face us in our daily life. And there are lots of those, aren't there? Lots of opportunities, lots of challenges. And sometimes we get overwhelmed with them. But when you understand your purpose, when you know why you're here, then in that context you can now begin to prioritize these things and you can fit them into areas where you can uh, deal with them more, much more effectively, much more fruitfully. When either our ultimate or our own unique personal purpose becomes clouded or confused, we lose something. We lose a zeal for life. We lose our joy. We lose our way, if you will. You find that our life begins to be characterized not by a a deep, strong feeling and conviction resoluteness, dedication, but rather our lives begin to be marked by criticism and um, negative thinking and judgmentalism. Uh, We become, in effect, respectively unresponsive. Can people be respectably unresponsive? Huh? Yeah, all the time. This is... This is part of the, of the bane of religious people. This is why we keep hammering on living supernaturally, living supernaturally. We don't want to, be, to see our lives reduced to just being respectably, respectably religious and, in effect, unresponsive. Unresponsive to what God wants. So it's critical that we say, what, why am I here? Why am I here? What's the purpose? What has God given me to do? And in that context, we begin to discover, among other things, our spiritual gifting, don't we? We begin to discover something about how we fit into the body of Christ. Now, in the, in the passage we're going to look at, this, we see this is what happens to the Pharisees. Uh, they reject John the Baptist. They resist Jesus. And don't forget that these were the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees and the uh, experts in the law. And what happened to them can very easily happen to anybody else. Uh, We can get just enough religion to make us rigid and lose our purpose, which really does serve to release power. When you have a handle on your purpose, when you know where you're going, when you know what you want, and we want what you know, then you have power. The power of God is released in your life. But if you're if you're visionless, if you're purposelessness, uh, purposeless, if you don't know where you're going, you don't know what you want. And we'll see this in the context of this passage. Then, beloved, there is no power, and there is, as I said. Uh, only negative, critical, judgmental kinds of attitudes in our life. So right now you might want to look at yourself. You say, am I a negative, critical person? Am I, am, I, am I one of those people that when other people see me coming, they say, oh boy, or oh no? That's a, real, that's a sure test. It's a sure test. You can ask in your mini church. You can say, tell me true. I'm ready. I'm real strong now. You guys can tell me. When you see me coming, do you think, oh, you, oh boy, or oh no? Great test for mini church. Some of you would be brave enough to do it. <laughs> Look with me at this parable. 
I just want to read verses 31 and 32, Luke chapter 7. This is a parable of children at play in the marketplace. Jesus says, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to each other. Now, does, does Jesus call us to be like little children? Yes, but now there's a subtle difference here. And we'll, we'll see that. They're like little children sitting in the marketplace calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. So there's children playing games. Some wanted to play a wedding. Some wanted to play a game of funeral. One group cried out, we wanted to play a wedding game and you wouldn't play with us. The other group said, we wanted to play funeral and you wouldn't do what we wanted. You see, that's the point of this little parable. They couldn't get together. They couldn't together enjoy uh, a make-believe drama like kids like to do. Each wanted his own way. They couldn't agree on what they wanted, and they ended up enjoying neither game. They ended up enjoying neither game. Now, then, again, as I said, Jesus often used children to exemplify that which is honest, that which is enthusiastic, that which is uh, unequivocal in terms of the responses to life. Be like little children. Be spontaneous. Be inquisitive. Come, ask. He wanted these same things from people. Indeed, in Matthew 18, he says, unless you change and become like little children. So we see clearly that's how he wants us to be. But... There's a difference between childlikeness and childishness, isn't there? He wants us to be what? Childlike. He doesn't want us to be childish. Adults have a tendency to be childish. And they think they're being childlike. See, in this case, Jesus depicts the most unattractive characteristic of childishness. That is the immaturity and the uncooperativeness of bored and spoiled children. All of us know what that's like. I want what I want when I want it. Right? And the question is, do you really want that? If you don't do what I want, I won't do what you want. Have you ever heard that? But I don't even know what I want. And if you were to do what I think I want, I'm not sure that even that would please me. Verse 30 that, that comes before Jesus' words, and then the verses that follow, make Jesus' message powerfully clear to us. And verse 30 is probably one of the most disturbing statements in Scripture uh, as it's used in this particular context. It's the key, if you will, to the parable. The parable was, of course, Jesus' characterization of the leaders of Israel who rejected the purpose of God. 
Look at verse 30 with me. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves. Because they had not been baptized by John. Now, it's important for us to understand what that, what that means, but they had not been baptized by John. Was it God's purpose that they be baptized by John? Huh? Yeah, absolutely. See, the leaders of Israel didn't like John, and they rejected him. He was too stern. He was too strict. He was too austere. He was written off by them as having a demon. We don't want to associate with him. He's too radical. He demands too much. Now, he had come preaching, hadn't he? He'd come preaching what? Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And a sign of their repentance was that they would undergo the rite of, of, of baptism, which for a Jew was was an unheard of thing because this was something that was humiliating to them. It was something that was reserved basically for um, a, a Gentile proselytes of Judaism to wash away their Gentile uncleanness. So if you're a Jew and, and John is saying, as a sign of your general repentance, you'll get down here in the river and get baptized, you can imagine these self-righteous Pharisees and teachers of the law saying, there's no way I'm going down there and humiliate myself. And they find an excuse therein to reject John, whom God has called, and God uh, 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 chose to be the forerunner to announce the kingdom of God and announce the coming of Jesus. So they reject him. Jesus, on the other hand, is not taken seriously by them because he ate and drank wine with sinners. So you can't please these guys. John was too serious. Jesus is not serious enough. What do they want? So that's why Jesus, he calls them like these children who playing these games. They can't agree. They don't know what they want. They're spoiled, foolish, childish, not childlike. And Jesus makes the point that they didn't know what they wanted. Why didn't they know what they wanted? I believe because we find it in, in that passage there in verse 30, because they really didn't want God. They professed they wanted God. They profess that they believed in God. They didn't really want God. They rejected John's message. They rejected John. Jesus comes along and they resist Jesus' message. They resist his his ministry. And both of them called for repentance, didn't they? Both of them called for uh, absolute commitment to the sovereignty of God in their lives, didn't they? The kingdom of God is here. Let it rule. Let it reign in your life. That's the tragic condition, beloved, of religious people who don't know God. They reject His messengers. They reject His truth. They reject His purpose. They have the rules. They have the regulations. But they really do not know what they want or want what they know to be true. What a scathing a scathing exposure Jesus brings to religious people. It was as if Jesus had said, listen, you say you want God, but your actions and your words show that you don't really want God. 
That's the bottom line. That's what he's saying, in effect. You talk about God's judgment, but you rejected the one who proclaimed it, meaning John, and called you to come to repentance. You say you long for the Messiah to come, but when he's here, you search for reasons to reject him. He says, you are childish, not childlike. You're like these little kids who, who don't really come to grips with what they really want. You have no wisdom. Now, Jesus, would you say Jesus knew what his purpose was? Yeah. Think Jesus knew what his purpose was? Yeah. I think so. He was, and I love this expression, he was the incarnate expression of the earnestness of God to save his people. Listen to this. I love this. He was the incarnate expression of the earnestness of God to save his people. What does that mean? God went to extreme lengths to take on human flesh, to go to that cross, to bear our sins, to save us. The earnestness of God to save his people. Jesus is the, the incarnate expression of the earnestness of God to save his people. Amen. Thank you, God. Amen is that's right. See, Jesus knew why he had come. Luke chapter 4, verse 43. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that is why I was sent. I'm sent to preach good news. To set the captives free. John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. He says, my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very hour, this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name and a voice from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus knew his purpose. He knew why he was here. He knew what he was supposed to do. He knew his purpose. And now the parable of the children challenges us indeed to clarify and to claim our purpose and to live it out with absolute earnestness. Live it out with absolute earnestness. What's your purpose? What's your purpose? Do you know what your purpose is? And are you living it out with absolute earnestness? Are you throwing yourself into it full full blast? What's your purpose? Why were you born? Why were you reborn? Beloved, our ultimate purpose, our ultimate purpose is Jesus Christ. Our ultimate purpose is Jesus Christ. To know Him, allow Him to love us, love Him in response, and to love others as He's loved us. That's our ultimate purpose. Each of us is called to live out that purpose in the unique circumstances of, of our daily lives, aren't we? Lord, I love you. You first love me. I love you. You first love me. I want to receive your love. I want to know your love. I want to, I want to grow in your love. Lord, I want to share that love with others. That's, for all of us, that's, that's the ultimate purpose why we're here. 
to spread the love of God, to share good news, right? Now, there's two, two crucial things that go along with this. The first is this. Our personal relationship with Jesus ought to lead us to being like Jesus. Our personal relationship with Jesus ought to lead us to being like Him. He is to be our purpose and our passion. So right there, there's a question for you. Okay. He is to be my purpose and my passion. Is Jesus really my purpose and my passion? Is He my purpose for living and is He my passion for living? Because, beloved, whatever your purpose and passion are, those are the things that shape you. Whatever you're given to, whatever you're dedicated to, whatever you're, you're committed to, that's what's going to eventually shape your life. Isn't that true? So if He is my purpose and He is my passion, He's going to shape my life. I ought to be looking more and more and more like Him. Does that make sense? Ask yourself this question. Do I long to know Him? Do I long to know Him and to make Him known to others? Do I long to know Him and to make Him known to others? Now, all of us run into a little bit of a wall there, don't we? But we all have experience in, 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 in people in our life. I want to get to know that person. I want to get to know that person. Now, whether it be someone who's way out of history that you, you get all these books on, you do all this study on, you get to know them. Or someone that's contemporary to you. You go spend time with them. You listen to them. Tell me about yourself. I want to know all about you. This is what young men and women do when they're courting. Isn't that true? Do they do that, Rick? Young women, they, they spend time getting to know each other and lots of time, you know. Just, I want to know you. I want to know everything about you. And we say those things, you know. You spend time together and then you, then you go home, you're separate places, and then you get on the phone. Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> See, the question, the question we want to ask ourselves, do I really want to know him? And, and, and do I, has he so taken my life that I want to tell others about him? Let me tell you about my Jesus. You know? People say, well, you know, if, you, if you've got kids, you know, you want to, let me tell you about my kid. And we brag up our kids, don't we? Or our sweethearts. We tell her, oh, he, he's so wonderful. <laughs> She's so beautiful. She's so great. She's just, you know, we, we ought to be doing that with Jesus. And the degree we're not, to the degree we're not, it just says that he's not our passion. He's not our purpose. But God says that he ought to be our passion and our purpose. And if you're living a passionless life, if you're living a purposeless life, then you only find that passion and purpose in Jesus. If you say, well, how do I do that? 
Just say, Lord, I, I want to do this. I understand. I understand that this is, this is, this, I need, I need you in my life like this. I need to have this kind of dynamic relationship. Help me, God. I want to know you. I don't want to have a life that is directionless, purposeless, empty, and frustrating. Now, here's the second thing, second issue that we want to be concerned with is, is our concern then, our concern will be to discover and to do his will in all of life. You see, when he is our passion, he's our purpose. When he's changing us, then you find that now our concern is to know his will and to do it. In every area of life. And he'll, he'll, he'll deploy us in all kinds of life situations. And he'll deploy us with people where we can be effective for him. Situations where you, you think, oh man, I'm in over my head. That's okay. I know you're in over your head. God's with you. He'll lead you. Don't panic. It's going to be okay. It's a process. You just want to help people understand you love the Lord. He's the love of your life. And he sent you into that person's life. You see, when these things are true, we will know what we want. And what we want will be Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And we will want what we know, His indwelling power in our life. Oh, Lord, I want Your presence. I want You to fill me up. Fill me with You, Lord. Fill me with You, Lord. Amen. You see, when He's your passion, that'll be your prayer. That'll be the thing that you want. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, For to me, to live is Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. And in Philippians chapter 3, in fact, I want you to turn and read these verses with me. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. We've read these before, but I want to read them again. First verse was Philippians 1.21, and then the second reference is Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. Page 1202, if you have a Bible like mine. Okay, look, look, let's read this together. Verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Does that sound like someone who's passionate for Christ? Yeah. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, he takes ownership of Jesus. My Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I, in fact, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Can we say that? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, 
and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Or you could also say from among the living corpses. God, deliver me from, from vain people. Deliver me from those who, who do not love you. That I may attain from the resurrection of the dead. It's a figure of speech there as well as a literal, literal interpretation. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have uh, already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Oh my, that, what a passage. What a rich passage. Here's a man who expresses a passion for Jesus. Here's a man who understands that Jesus is his purpose. He wants to know Jesus. Now, don't you think Paul, uh, after years and years and years of living as a Christian and founding the majority of the New Testament churches and writing the majority of the New Testament himself, don't you think that Paul already knew Jesus? He's not content. He wants to know him more. Paul's kind of radical, isn't he? I'd like to think that he'd fit in with us. Sometimes I wonder. Jesus was everything to Paul. Jesus was everything to Paul because Jesus had done everything for Paul. He's his everything. He's his everything. Either Christ is all or he is not at all. Either he is all, or he's not at all. He says very simply, either you're for me or you're against me. There's no in-between. Are you for me? Are you with me? Are you on board? It means he's calling us to a radical discipleship. He's calling us to say, to, to stand and proclaim, you are my passion. And all the things that I've been concerned about, all the things that I want, all the other things that I think are necessary for my life, you are my, you're the one who consumes my life. That's what he's saying. Let's not be like these little children playing in the street, fooling around, focused on our own myopic, selfish needs, rejecting God's purpose, rejecting God's purpose. Beloved, until we can say Christ is all, until we can say that, we are, in fact, like the children in the marketplace. That's what Jesus is saying. Unless we can stand with Paul and we can rehearse the same sentiments that Paul speaks, until we can do that, we are just like the children in the marketplace. That's the bottom line. It's possible to call ourselves Christians and resist Christ, isn't it? Who in the world, in the right mind, when you, when you sit down in, in, in a rational, logical about it, who would want to reject Christ? Who would want to resist Him? Who would want to resist His will in their life? And yet our flesh rises up, doesn't it? And wars against the Spirit. And we see resistance rather than, Lord, Lord, You are my passion. You are my passion. You are my purpose. See, I'm going to suggest that we rehearse that. We rehearse that. 
Lord, you are my purpose. You are my purpose. You are my purpose. You are my purpose and my passion. And until we are able to, to rehearse that, rehearse that, rehearse that, and come to a place where we actually begin to believe it, we're just like the children in the marketplace, playing games, disrupted, conflicted, going nowhere, winding up purposeless. We can be church members and refuse the implications of his direction in our own personal as well as our corporate life. You can be a member of a church, you can sign on the dotted line, and you can refuse the implications of his call in your life. He's called us all to be in fellowship, hasn't he? He's called us all to be in ministry, hasn't he? He's called us all to give, hasn't he? He's called us all to participate, hasn't he? So you have to say to yourself, you know, to what degree am I participating? To what degree am I involved? Do I know my spiritual gifting? Where am I? Am I, am I fulfilling the calling that God has in my life? Am I fulfilling the purpose? Or am I just, am I just, is it a, just a nuisance? Is he my passion? A woman came to me about her marriage. She said, if, 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 if only my husband would change, we could really make a goal of this marriage. So I said to her, I said, list, list ten things that you want him to change. And so she made a list of the top ten things that he wanted, she wanted him to change. So I took the list to him, and I enlisted his help. And I said, if you will make these changes, she said that you're married, you're married, you guys can make a goal of it. So he began to work hard. He made every effort to change, but whatever he did wasn't enough. Now, I knew this in advance, but we had to play this little charade out. And then she comes and she says, she says what am I going to do now? He's made all the changes that I've asked him to make. And I'm still unhappy. I told her the answer was not in her husband. The answer was in her relationship with Jesus. I said, you have no passion for Jesus. You have no passion for Jesus. I said, you're active in the church, but you've never, ever, ever given Jesus control over your life and control over your relationship. You call him Lord, but he's not the Lord in reality. I said, all of your religious activity was just a smokescreen for your own lack of commitment to Jesus. As long as you kept busy, you looked good. And it protected you from having to be involved with Jesus. But he brings every hidden thing to light, doesn't he? He knows where you're living. And I said, your, your husband's efforts to change only exposed your own need to change. And beneath her words was a deep desire, really, to get out of the marriage. But she was too religious to divorce. Thank God for small miracles. 
It wasn't long after that that she realized that and she gave herself fully to Jesus. Now she knows what she wants and she wants whom she knows. She had for the very first time taken Jesus seriously in her life. It's easy to be critical. It's easy to point the finger. It's easy to blame other situations, other... When the reality is, I'm empty, and I'm looking for you to fill the emptiness, and Jesus needs to be my passion, not you. Beloved, the Lord is here now. Do you know that? The Bible says that his own words, he says, where two of you or two or more, you gather gather in my name, I'm in your midst. He is here now. He's right in this room. Will we take him seriously? Will we take him seriously? Can you whisper to him, You see, we, we had a word from him earlier. A word from him that said, you will persevere. He wants to gather us under his wings. He wants to lift us up. You don't want to be left behind. You see, your passion. Do you take him seriously? Do we come to worship him not really expecting to meet him, not really expecting any special touch from him in our life. You see, sometimes I think we go through our worship just kind of an exercise, frustration, futility. It's kind of rote. It's predictable. Rather than coming and, 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 and rushing in here, just rushing in here, running up those stairs and just running right past me. Oh, hi, Pastor. I've got to get in there. Jesus is my passion. I want to go in and celebrate him. I want to be with, with my brothers and sisters. I want to celebrate him. I need a touch from him. I know where we're gathered, the church is gathered, he's there, he's present, and I know that he wants to touch my life. I know I can hardly wait to get in there. See, that's a heart that's passionate. Take him seriously? What does that mean? Does he have charge over all there is of us? Is he the Lord? Is he the Lord of your heart? Is he the Lord of your relationships? Is he the Lord over your job? Is he the Lord over your money? Is he the Lord over your hopes? Is he the Lord over your plans? Is he the Lord? We said last week, God, the worst thing that could happen is for me to miss your will. I want to slide right in under your lordship. I want to be covered by your wings. I want to confess my passion to you for you. 
He wants everything. He's jealous. He wants everything. It's kind of wonderful to be wanted that way, isn't it? He wants us. Beloved, if we take Him seriously, I mean, just think about this for a minute with me. If we dare take Him seriously, and we dare make Him Lord, really, and He is Lord over every area of our life, I believe that our life and our church life will be punctuated by miracle after miracle after miracle. Marilyn would just, just come into the room and the glory of God would be all over her. She'd go back to the doctors tomorrow and they says, well, you don't need a new kidney. Isn't that glorious? You see, we're guarded. We don't want to risk. We don't want to get our life out of control. I don't want to be too radical. I don't want to be called a Jesus freak. Are you one of them? <laughs> Look at John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Jesus, I tell you a lie. I'm, I'm just going to fake you out. No, he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I'm leaving you back as, as, as my body. You do greater things, greater in number, greater in extent. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so, so that, now look at this, so that, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. See, we're His body now. When He is our passion, we know what, he, what His will is. We ask in accordance with His will. He says, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Oh, my. <laughs> you think He wants to be known in this world? You think He wants to save people still? You think He wants His glory displayed in people's lives and through people's lives? Do you think He wants to be glorified in the midst of the church? So what do we pray? God, glorify yourself in our midst. Lord, we ask you to bless our missionary teams. We ask you to bless our plans for, for uh, hope for the future. We ask you, Lord, to give us more kids, more young people. Right? Why? Because our passion is for Him. That His Father be glorified, our Father be glorified through what He's doing through His body. You see, all of this, beloved, presses us, presses us to clarify, I think, what we want. And if what we want is in keeping with His will for us, and we are serious, He'll bless us beyond measure. He'll bless us beyond measure. Jesus says to us, in effect, until you want what I want for you, you'll be troubled in your views and in your desires. You'll be easily displeased with yourself and with others. You'll be out of harmony with me, out of harmony with yourself. You'll be full of reservation and distrust until you want what I want for you. 
If you give your heart to me totally, you'll find peace, joy, and true contentment. You will have a full life. Beloved, if we accept his offer, if we accept his offer, we will know what we want and we will want what we know. And our purpose will be to glorify him and enjoy him forever and ever and ever. Let me read to you again the promise that he's made. This is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I'll listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Passion. Passion. Purpose. He is our purpose. He is our passion. And everything else falls in line when, that, when He's there. When He's there. Beloved, there's a purpose which demands an earnestness from us now throughout all eternity. He's our purpose. Instead of playing games, we have a game plan for a truly exciting, fruitful, and purposeful life. We have a game plan. Jesus has given it to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you speak words of life to us. You... You know exactly where we live. Lord, your parables are rich, and they are true. Father, for any of us who have been childish and playing childish games, and the fruit of those childish games are our own personal dissatisfaction, frustration, critical attitudes, judgmentalism, and on and on and on. Lord, show us those things in our own life. Let us take ownership of them. Lord, help us to make a shift so that you truly are the passion of our life. Lord, stir us up and create a thirst in us for you like we've never known before. Lord, help us in our weakness. Strengthen us. Renew our vision. And Lord, renew us, uh, renew in us a, a clear picture of the purpose for being born. Why why did you even bring us into existence? Lord, help us to see these things. We love you, Father. We praise you tonight. Lord, there are some people tonight in our, in our midst who either don't know you or you've spoken to their heart very clearly. And Lord, we don't want to let this time pass except that to give, give them an opportunity to make some kind of statement to you. Lord, we make all sorts of promises. We get married in front of witnesses. We, we make promises in front of people because we want to be held accountable. And Lord, when we come to you, we, we want to make these same promises. We want to make them publicly so we can be accountable. Our faith is 
personal, it's not private. So there's some of you tonight, as we have been talking, as you've been thinking along with me, that uh, you said, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't really made Jesus my passion. He's really not been my purpose for living, and I truly have just paid him lip service. If you can admit that, then I want to pray with you. But as we do each week, I don't want to pray by myself. I want to know if there's some people who, who really are ready to, to step forward with Jesus, to take a stand with Jesus. And, and if, you, if that describes you, you can, you can signal me. Say, Pastor, I want to pray with you. I want you to pray for me. You just lift your hand. Anybody at all? Okay. God bless you. bless you. Over there. See that hand? Yeah. Over here. Back there. Okay. In the back. Okay. Anybody else? Just lift your hand. Okay, way in the back. Okay, good. I see your hand. Okay, if you lift your hand, I'm just going to ask you to stand right now. Just stand right up. Lift your hands with me. Just for an expression, we're just we're reaching up to our Heavenly Father, to our Heavenly Papa. Can you make this your prayer? Heavenly Father, I, I confess to you that I... I've seen the very same things that uh, you talked about in those, those children at play in my own life. Lord, you have spoken to my heart tonight. I'm convicted. You have not been my passion. You have not been my purpose, though I've said so. So, Lord, help me. Help me to make a change. Help me to surrender to you more fully. Help me to say with Paul, I count all things loss compared to knowing Christ. Lord, strengthen me and fill me with your spirit. I truly now want to live a life that brings you glory. And I want to know your will. Lord, don't let me miss your will. That's the worst thing that could happen to me. I love you tonight, and I give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Let's stand together. Let's, let's praise the Lord together. He is our passion, is he not? He's our passion. And let's bless his name. Let's praise his name. Amen.